We're starting a brand new series called The Way today, and you probably saw those banners out in the lobby that we talked about a couple months ago. Those, those words, we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. So I don't know how many of you guys actually bring your Bibles. It's probably very few, but some of you guys have digital devices and you're taking notes. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody want to find some rest for your soul? <laughs> yeah. I read that, well, it was, it was 2018, and I've told you guys the story about, you know, I had this encounter with God at, at this place called Buffalo Jump out in Montana, and I'd followed this little tiny path that, that wasn't the main path, it was just this off the beaten path, barely visible, and I just happened to come back from that and open up my Bible and happen to, right? It's not really a happen to, it's a God thing, and open up my Bible and began to read this very verse, and just after I'd taken this little ancient path, and I knew that God was planting something in me, saying there's something more going on. It says that you find the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And then, of course, the last line there, it says, but they said, we will not walk in it. So we're, we're going to hit that here in a little bit. But it's like after all of these years, I thought I understood what that was. And it's like the more years that pass, I begin to understand what that is in fuller deeper ways. And some of those we're going to talk about today because Jesus said what? He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You know, early Christians, they, they called what they were doing, they called it the way. And so this, this whole idea of the way is embedded into the very thing that we're called to walk into. And Jesus invites us into this way. And here Jeremiah is even calling people into the way, into a good way. And we today call that following Jesus, or we call it discipleship. And when Jesus called his early disciples, we can see that in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, And he went up on a mountain, and he called to them those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might, there's a few things he, he's doing with them, that they might be with him. How do you guys know that being with Jesus is one of the most important things you can do as a disciple? It's not just about hearing about him or being around the things of God, but being with Jesus, be with him, and that, they, that he might send them out. So there's this mission, the Great Commission, and that they might have authority to cast out demons. So when we talk about discipleship or disciple, we've got to answer the question first off, what is a disciple? A lot of times we think of a disciple as like our discipleship as groups that we're a part of or a book study that we have or like learning more about God. What is a disciple? Well, the actual word means a committed student, a follower, an apprentice. It's, it's way deeper than just like I'm learning about God. It's way deeper than going to church. It's way deeper than just being a part of a small group. What, what is it? Here's another fuller definition. The word for disciple is a learner who follows a master teacher. In contrast to our Western era, learning in Jesus' time was very relational and holistic. Discipleship meant much more than just a transfer of information, right? 
A lot of times we think that discipleship is a transfer of information where I've received more information, now I've suddenly grown closer to God. That may or may not be true. Even in an environment like this where I'm preaching the word of God, I believe this is living and active, a moment of, uh, it can even be a prophetic time. But even just in the transfer of information, it's not enough. It's not about just transferring information and now I'm further along. It's discipleship, that actual word, it referred to imitating the teacher's life, his values, and reproducing his teachings. So discipleship is this idea that we are growing daily in the likeness of Jesus so that the way that we are, our our internal life begins to reflect the heart of God day by day. Not just our outward behavior, but even the thoughts and intents and attitudes and way we process things and the way we are begins to to reflect the way Jesus is and his values. Dallas Willard says it this way, I've shared it before, but discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. What would it look like if Jesus had your job, (laughs) if Jesus was in your family, if Jesus had your spouse? Like, what would that be like? That's the idea, that we grow more and more into this idea that we begin to look like Jesus so that it's hard for, the longer you live for Jesus, it's hard for people to tell the difference between you and Jesus. That's the goal of discipleship. That's what we call sanctification. Does anybody want to go closer to that this year? Like, that. that's the goal. Dallas Willard also asked, couple questions. I've shared them before, but he says, every church needs to ask this question. What is your discipleship strategy? If we are called to make disciples, then we better have a plan to do that, right? Especially as a church. And the second question then is, is it working? (laughs) Because it's one thing to have a strategy and you come up with a plan, but is it working? Because what we want to do is not just go through motions in life. What we want to do is actually see fruit in our lives, and so we need to ask the same question in our own heart. Like, what is, what is the discipleship strategy for my life, for my family, for my marriage? And, and if it's like, okay, well, my strategy is going to church, it's reading the Bible, it's got, you know, got a Bible study and here and there and having... The que- second question is so important. Is it working? Are you actually reproducing the values in the heart of Jesus day by day? And so as I analyzed this, God gave me these three words for us to really focus in on. And they're hanging out in the lobby now, so hopefully you won't forget them. They're on the the screen, on our title screen, so hopefully you won't forget them as well. But they are encounter, formation, and mission. I believe that these three words are like three ingredients that are involved in the process of discipleship. That as you grow in God, if you really want to reflect the values and grow in God and look more like Jesus, these things are required. That when we talk about encounter, it's when we say things like, one moment in the presence of God can change anything and everything. How many of you guys believe that that is true? That's why we believe that when you get in the presence of God, that things can happen that can happen no other way. That, that it doesn't matter how many years you try in your own effort. When you get in the presence of God, miracles can happen in the power and the presence of God, right? 
There are things that can happen in God's presence. These are like, like Saul on the road to Damascus where he didn't do that in his own effort, but he encountered Jesus one moment in the presence of God. The power of God came, and he went from Saul to Paul. These are moments when you're reading your Bible, and you ever had that happen where all of a sudden just it comes off the pages, right? And all of a sudden it's like thunder in your soul. See, an encounter with God, it marks the time and place. It means you can, I mean, it's like an altar moment. I can take you to places in my life, to literal places places on this planet where I had an encounter with God in some way, whether it big or small. I could take you to a place on the sidewalk in a little town where I stood and I just had this encounter with God. It was very, very subtle on the outside, but it was very, very deep and large on the inside. See, those type of moments, you cannot be a disciple of God without having some sort of moment where there's, that marks you in some way, that changes your trajectory, that it doesn't have to be dramatic, it doesn't have to be an external light from heaven, but somehow you are marked by those moments. We see this all throughout the Bible where people were marked by different moments, even if it's just a word. You ever have a word that's spoken or maybe a message that's preached that changes the trajectory? And it's like you could just feel there was something on that, right? That's one moment in the presence of God. Those encounter moments are ingredients to discipleship. It's one of the main ones. Formation is another main one. And these are what we're calling, these are like spiritual practices that form us into the likeness of Jesus and into the way of the kingdom. These are things like where the fruit of the Spirit start to get evident in our life. You know, things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those types of things that we tend to not think are so fun in our spiritual uh, walk. We'd rather do, be like truth tellers and all that type of stuff. But this idea of being formed into the likeness of God is very, very crucial when it comes to discipleship. These are spiritual disciplines like fasting, prayer. These are ones that we don't like so much, right? These are things like even like gathering together, community, relationships. Do you realize that being in community and relationships, the reason why it's so important is because it is part of the process that forms you into the love of God, that forms you into a person of peace, that forms you into a person of forgiveness. You can't do that without relationships. That's why it's so important. So these are things that, how many barbecue smoke, smoking people, like not smoking people, but, but like smoking, <laughs> barbecue smoke people. We got anybody who likes to smoke meat, right? Barbecue, okay. I don't know where that came from, but. This is, this is a, hello, live to the internet. This is the one we're recording, too. Uh, this, is, this is what I call, this is what I call the low and slow, you know, because you gotta, if you want to smoke meat, it's low and slow, and it's a long time, and it's in there, and you don't want to, you don't want to peek at it, you just, it's just something on the inside that's happening, right? And this is the low and slow of discipleship. I mean, this is where you just keep showing up, even though you don't feel it. This is when you show up in prayer, when you don't hear anything, day after day after day. What's that doing? That's forming you into a person who's faithful. This is when you you take a Sabbath when you don't think you have time to. What is this doing? It's forming me into a person who trusts God when I think I can't. This This is when you show up to church when you don't feel like it, Because the Bible says, do not neglect the gathering of the believers. Because you know that even though you don't feel like it, 
and, and maybe, maybe week after week you're not getting anything out of it or you don't, you don't feel connected, but then there's that one moment where all of a sudden you cross paths with somebody who has the word at just the right time and God placed them in your path. It's forming us into people who are, who are the ones who are faithful people. This is when you, you show up in relationship with people because you know, even though there's things you don't always want to hear from the other person, you know that if I just keep showing up, it's the low and slow. It's forming me into the love of God. It's forming in, into a person of peace. And then we have, we have a mission. Mission is where, I, and I just put it this way, that we were created to be extravagant, risk-taking conduits of God's love to the world around us. Anytime there's something in you that needs to be poured out of you, it's the love of God that's been put in you. When you share your faith, you're on mission. When you use a spiritual gift, you're on mission. Why? Because something's been put in you that's now being poured out of you. When you are using your calling and your purpose and your mission, it, you are on mission because it's the God's love. You are becoming a conduit of God's love. When you, when you obey God and step out and share in any other way, in any way, when you serve other people, you're on mission. All of these things are ingredients to discipleship. You know, that formation thing in us, it's where our default responses or reactions become kingdom reactions. How many of you guys ever have somebody say something to you and you just react? Anybody ever have that happen? Is it just me, right? You, you know, and, and our, our old sinful nature is to react out of anger sometimes or to react out of impatience or to react out of jealousy, to react out of whatever. But do you realize that this idea of discipleship, when we start to grow close to God, it, here's, here's what the Bible is telling us, that one day as we follow Jesus, our default reactions become kingdom reactions. The things that you don't think about or have time to think about, all of a sudden, they just become natural reactions. That the gap between the public you, you know, that we all have a front that we want to put on, and the internal you is, is shrunk so that they're, they're similar. See, some of us, we just say, well, I'm just going to be my authentic self. Deal with it, Right? You ever met with somebody like that? I'm just going to be my authentic self. Deal with it. Here's the promise of discipleship. It's that we can be our authentic self, and it looks like Jesus. That that gap is shrunk so that we don't have to put on a facade for anybody because the, we don't want to put on a facade because if we put on a facade, it wouldn't look like Jesus anymore. That's, that's the, the hunger that we need to have on the inside of us. And so the problem is, a lot of us, what happens is we call ourselves Christian. And, and the Bible, it talks about, you know, they started calling them Christians. But for many of us in the Western world, and especially the United States, there's a lot of people who say they're Christians. So how do you know who's a Christian and who's really following Jesus and who's not? Because Christian, for many of us, have just become a title that we have, a box that we check. And disciple, according to this definition, seems way different than just calling myself a Christian or I believe in God. It's like this. It's like Christian has become an adjective we put on our, ourselves when discipleship is actually a verb that's active in our life. And so I say it this way. You may call yourself a Christian, but are you a disciple? Because I believe we need to make a distinction there not because there there's supposed to be a distinction, but because we've made it where there has to be. You may be a Christian, but are you a disciple? Because we can't forget that last line in Jeremiah, that, that verse. It says, he's invited us into a way, 
It's an ancient path. It's a good way. There's rest for your soul. But they said what? We will not walk in it. I don't want to be that last line. I don't want a church to be that last line. I don't want to be that where it's like, here's a good way offered to you. It's going to be rest for your soul. You're going to be able to to grow in God, but I just don't want to walk in it. And yet many, quote unquote, Christians choose not to walk in this good way. Why? Well, I believe one of the reasons why we don't walk in this good way is because many times we think we already are walking in that way. We've deceived ourselves to thinking just because we have transfer of information that we're walking in the way. And, and so what does it look like? Well, I've shared this before, but I think this will be helpful for us to, to see. See if you can locate yourself here. Let's take a look at this illustration. Let's watch. Okay, this is not a perfect illustration, but it is. it gives us a little bit of a picture of where we might be able to locate ourselves spiritually. And I've used this illustration before, and it's found in these four different chairs that represent different levels that we might find ourselves in our walk with God. And so let's look at these different chairs and what it might represent. The first one we have here is the baby chair. This thing about the baby chair here is that, I mean, if a baby's in here, you pretty much have to take care of it all the time because babies can't do a whole lot for themselves. You see there's a lot of entertainment around this thing because they've got to keep entertained. You got to change diapers. They're pretty consumeristic, honestly. They pretty much need us to take care of them all the time. We're very glad that they are on board here, but it's uh, it's still a lot of work and it's honestly the world kind of centers around them. And that is a picture of where some of us are in our spiritual walk with God in this baby chair. Now, this this is not a bad place to be when you start because we all start here. But this represents one of the chairs that we potentially sit in in our spiritual walk with God. We move to the next chair over here and here we have the kid chair. Now, this kid chair, it represents where some of us are with God, where, I mean, we're doing things on our own a little bit more, uh, but honestly, we can't be left alone too much because we make a pretty big mess out of things at times, but at least a kid who could sit in this chair can probably at least go to the bathroom. So that's one thing, and we're happy about that. And then we move on to this other chair, which is more like the teenager young adult chair, and I don't mean to pick on them because I have been there myself, but you notice it's a little bit higher, maybe a little bit taller than what it should be because sometimes when you're in this chair, you think you know a little bit more than what you do. But the good thing is about this chair is they are coming into their own. They're starting to recognize who they are, that it's not all about them, that they have a place in this world and they have something to offer. And that's it's a beautiful thing when we realize that spiritually, that we're coming into our own. It's not all about us. We may think we know a little bit more than what we actually do, but we're growing. And then finally, we have this last chair, which you notice it's a lot more comfortable than the other chairs because this chair is really like a spiritual parent. They've, they, they realize that they have something to give. They're more comfortable in who they are. They're able to pour back into the lives of other people, and they're able to uh, give their wisdom and what God has done in their life and be able to share and multiply that in other people. Now, Hopefully you can kind of locate where you are in one of these chairs. 
or, or maybe an easier thing to do is to, you could probably locate a friend or maybe a spouse and you, you put them in one of these chairs. You're like, I know exactly where that person is. They're in this baby chair or they're in the kid chair. They're in this chair. And it's a lot harder to identify where we actually are in these chairs. Because what happens is we tend to assume that we're in a chair higher than what we actually are. And so we tend to think that we're maybe up here when honestly, if we look at our life, we're in our, and the fruit of our life, we may actually be down here. So let's look at what the book of James says. So the book of James says in James chapter one, verse 22, starts off and says, but be doers of the word and not only, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and he immediately at once forgets what he looks like. And it says, but the one who looks into the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no longer just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what I want to challenge us this year in 2024 is to actually come face to face with who we really are, to come face to face with where we really are so that we can actually grow and change and become a disciple and a follower of Jesus, not just a hearer only. Amen. I mean, then I noticed I have this chair up here. That was like, okay, that's. Have you guys, maybe you located a friend or a family member in one of those chairs, but it's harder for us to know where we are at. So how do we know where we're at? It's really tricky. How do we know where we're at and which chair we're in? And because I, I think what happens with it is we we tend to focus on one or two of those words I mentioned earlier in counterformation mission at the expense of one or two of the others. And what happens when we do that is we end up getting stuck because we're so maybe infatuated with one or maybe we're bent maybe one way that we end up just surrounding ourselves with one of those activities, but we don't move forward because we're unwilling to incorporate some of the other things. And, you know, so we've got encounter, formation, mission. What I, one of the things that I noticed very uh, quickly when I started to think about this was how people in our type of churches tend to value, like, encounter really heavy. Like, we really are encounter type people. And we also tend to value mission a lot. Like, we, we value encounter and mission. But many times what happens is we skip formation. So we're chasing after encounter, and we want to serve God. We want to get out there, but we, we don't see formation, that low and slow process, as something very valuable. And so what happens is we end up missing out. We end up getting stuck in one of the chairs. And so let me give us some language that might help us out. Maybe you can identify some things in your own life as we go through this that might help you out. So let me put it this way. Discipleship minus formation. If you leave formation out, what happens is it can end up just being shallow, surface living, and sometimes short-lived. Sometimes we, we just have a short-lived run. Like we, we, maybe God calls us to something and we get on mission. We've had an encounter and we want to be on mission, but it doesn't last very long because we just didn't have the formation. Or we find ourselves constantly just living at the shallow end of the pool. We don't ever really go deep in God because we're always chasing encounter. We're always 
trying to pour out, but we just don't have a lot to give. And so, so it ends up just being shallow surface living. Let me give you an example of this. I'll see if I can get the story right. But I heard it again uh, over our Christmas break, spending time with family, and so I'll do the best I can. If I tell it wrong, somebody's going to correct me and my family. I know they will. But uh, this is the way I heard it. This is the way I remember it. So, um, but, but my dad, you know, many of you guys know my dad's story. He came out of the hippie lifestyle and Jesus movement, got saved, radically saved, delivered from all this stuff. And he had some friends that were also uh, coming out of that environment and stuff. And so they were just kind of all over the board. And one of my dad's friends in the early days he had heard of somebody else who couldn't play the piano, but somehow God just miraculously, supernaturally gave them the gift of this ability to play the piano. Like, uh, you know, he'd heard about this. And so he thought, well, I want that to happen to me too. And he also, that guy also had a friend who had never preached before. And he's like, well, I want to be able to just supernaturally be able to preach. Like, I've never preached before. I've never got up in front of anybody. And so this guy who'd never played the piano and this guy who'd never preached before, they decided they were just going to rent an auditorium and invite a bunch of people. And they believed that whenever everybody showed up and they walked on a stage, that he's going to be able to play the piano when he never played before. And he, this other guy is going to be able to preach. So they gathered people together and they get up, they walk up, and he gets ready to play the piano. What do you think happened? Nothing happened, right? Nothing happened, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying God can't do those things. I, in fact, I'm not, I believe God can do those things. But what I'm saying is this guy was so, he had heard about these encounters with God and was seeking so much after encounter, but evidently somewhere along the way didn't have the formation around him to determine whether he had actually heard from God or whether he had wisdom surrounding him. And he was just right off into mission. He just wanted to go for it. And because of that, it was just short-lived and it didn't have much to it. But formation, what it does, it's there to grow us deep and steady for the long haul so that when things come up, we're not just all over the place, but we're able to hear God's voice clear. Think about Daniel. You know, you remember Daniel was pulled out of Babylon and uh, he was, you know, they're trying to re-educate him in the ways of Babylon and, you know, years go by and he's just finding favor everywhere that he goes and, and you know, so the, 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 the advisors of the king, they don't like him and so they tell the king, trick the king into writing this law that, that everybody has to worship the king and no other god because they know that Daniel's going to worship his god and so they set up this trap and... Then we find Daniel in Daniel 6.10. says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. What's it saying there? It's saying that Daniel had some spiritual pathways in his life that were going to be there grounding him come what may. They were gonna be grounding him no matter what was happening around him. That's formation happening. But discipleship minus formation, it's shallow and short-lived. Daniel might have burned out or given up had he not had this formation in his life. All right, the next thing is this. Discipleship minus mission. If you take mission out of it, it ends up many times we find ourselves stagnant and just self-centered lives. If you don't have any, any way that you're pouring out, it just becomes self-centered Christianity. And even in good things, I remember I was 15 years old. Our family had moved on the border of Texas and Mexico. We were going to be missionaries into Mexico, taking groups in all the time. And we lived in this big 
warehouse that should have been condemned. As far as I know, it probably was condemned. And inside of this warehouse, we, we housed this huge clothing ministry. So people would give all, I mean, honestly, just bad clothes. People would just give bad clothes and we'd have racks of stuff to try to uh, use to give out to people. And I think there's a food pantry in there and stuff as well. And we lived in this warehouse because there was nowhere else for us to live. And so, uh, and, and a few other people, I mean, in the back, I remember we had to walk around the back and look, if I remember right, it was like burnout or something like that. It was like all, I mean, there was this little tiny room you had to access from the outside. There was no electricity. It was this little room with like, it was probably mold everywhere. You had to stand on this pallet and turn this little knob or something and water, ice cold water trickled out of it. And that was our shower. And we had to go out there and take, take showers. And, but my brother Ben and I's room was actually in a garage bay of this warehouse. And it wasn't even a complete garage bay because the door wasn't, wasn't fully intact. There was a crack at the bottom so that the wind would blow in dirt all the time. And so there was a pile of dirt in the corner of our room that we couldn't just keep out. And one night we found a snake in our room because it just lived in the pile of dirt, I guess. But I'm just painting the picture because there was this one guy who was a part of the ministry and his name was Gary. And my dad's name was Gary, but I remember Gary. And Gary was so in love with fasting. He fasted all the time. He was supposed to be helping us in the ministry, but I don't know what happened. I think he, he fasted so much, he got so skinny, he had to go get clothes back out of the clothes ministry. So he's always wearing these like 70 suits, like plaid with like the patches on them and all that type of stuff. And he was like, he was withering away basically to death. I mean, it, it, he could hardly do anything. And I just have this picture of Gary just sitting outside in the dock area of this warehouse, unable to help us out because he was fasting all the time. We, I mean, we thought he was going to die because he just was so focused on this internal formation that he was of no use to any mission. See, sometimes, and so I think about Gary sometimes because sometimes we can get so focused on our internal life but if we don't have any external where we're pouring out, we end up withering away and we become of no use. We become stagnant like he was or we become self-centered where life is just all about us. You think about contrast with the, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 9, which Romans is a great theological work of, of formation, but look what he's also writing about. Even though Paul is very rich in formation, in verse 3 it says, for I wish that my, I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Why would Paul say that? He says, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What Paul is doing here is he's saying that he has such a heart for other people that he, if it came down to it, if there was a choice that had to be made, he would rather trade in his own salvation so that other people could be saved. He'd rather spend eternity in hell if someone else could spend eternity in heaven. That's such an outward focus. See, we need formation. We need mission. But this last one, discipleship minus encounter, here's what happens when we have that. It can just turn into spiritual rituals and social justice. So that all of our Christian life just ends up being these rituals that we go through. Many of you guys came out of maybe churches or you know, ways that you grew up that just didn't seem like there was a lot of life in it. It's, it's possible that the reason it felt like that is you just didn't ever have an encounter, those times that mark you, 
that mark the time and place, that, that cause you to, to know that there's power in God, that there's power in the presence of God. And what happens is so many of us today, we, we want to be on mission, so we want to be formed, and so we end up just going through these rituals, and we're on these crusades to try to change the world in some way, but we just, it just loses its life sometimes. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor back in the early 2000s, I'd take teenagers on mission trips. I remember this one particular mission trip I was on, and I looked one day at the, we were out serving, doing this different stuff, and I looked at one of the teenage girls there, and it's like almost by revelation, I just had this revelation in the spirit that she's never really had an encounter with God. I don't know, I was just having this moment with God, and he was just revealing things to me, and it turned out you could see the fruit of that later on, but she just hadn't had an encounter with God, and I was thinking, well, why is she even here? And then I realized she would do this whether it was part of a church or not. Because this for her is just the same as humanitarian aid. You know, there's a lot of people who go out there and just do good things for people because they just want to. They do it whether they're a Christian or they're not a Christian. And so for her, this was just humanitarian aid. It was just humanitarian aid wrapped in spirituality. Do you realize sometimes we even as followers of Jesus can end up just doing humanitarian aid wrapped in spirituality? Where we end up just doing spiritual religious activity disguised as fruit? That's the, that's the tendency or the temptation that we trend to when we really don't have encounters with God. And so some of us, we try, we're just so in love with the idea of formation and, and mission, but we we get a little bit concerned about encounter, but let, I'm telling you, you need encounter, formation, and mission. All of these things. Otherwise, you get stuck in a chair. You just get stuck in a chair somewhere. Think about that with the disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 31. After Jesus died and he resurrected, he's walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They can't see that it's Jesus. They're talking with him. He shows up. They, he wants to go further. They said, no, come and have dinner with us. He sits down with them. What does he do? He takes the bread. He breaks the bread. He blesses the bread, and he gives the bread, and then, poof, he disappears. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight, and then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? What was happening? They needed an encounter they needed that presence of God, that moment in the presence of God. And so I just challenge you, do you identify something of you in here somewhere? You find that you're, you feel stuck. Maybe it's because things have just felt shallow and surface level. Maybe things have become stagnant. Maybe things are just kind of self-centered around you and you're, what you want out of this thing. Or maybe you find that it's just become spiritual rituals and and spiritual activity, and maybe even just turned into social justice issues for you instead of actually walking on this road. What I'm saying is we need encounter formation and mission, and many of us have a hard time locating where we are in those chairs. And when we do find ourselves in one of those chairs, we have a hard time moving on from one of those chairs, I believe, because of this thing that I call New Year's Resolution Spirituality where we just try to make New Year's resolutions to get better, and we miss the point entirely. One more illustration via video. Let's take a look. Let's watch. 
All right, so it's that time of year. It is New Year's resolution time. And so many of us find ourselves on a treadmill, maybe a new diet. Maybe we come up with a re resolution to uh, be more thankful or whatever it is. And as we know, most New Year's resolutions fail. Why is that? Is there something in us that's going wrong? Well, it's probably because we end up just trying to focus on the externals rather than the internals. We try to focus on being productive rather than actually healthy because there's a total difference between a productive person and a fruitful person, a healthy person. And so let me just illustrate why this kind of goes awry when it comes to discipleship as well. You know, a, a couple months ago, we went to the mountains and we went out to Colorado. I, I've shared that with you before. But 10 weeks before that, a group of us who were going to go, we decided that we wanted to get healthy so that we could actually climb the mountains. And so 10 weeks before, we committed to do all of these workouts. And so I spent a lot of time running outside and, and uh, doing weightlifting and all sorts of stuff. For me, it was five days a week. I'm going to do it. And I did not miss little brag moment, did not miss any one of them. Why? It's not because I was in love with the treadmill. It was because I was in love with the mountain. I wanted to get up on the mountain and I wanted to breathe that crisp air. I wanted to see what it was like. I wanted to be able to go further and further and be able to stand up on the mountain as much as I possibly can. And so Every time I go on a trip, when Becca and I, we go on a big trip, we're training, we're training. Why? Not because we're in love with the treadmill, but because we're in love with the mountain. What does that have to do with discipleship? Well, so many of us, we end up failing because we are trying to be in love with the, the treadmill. We're trying to be in love with, the, the, with prayer or with fasting or with going to church or serving and we have to realize that it's not those things that we should be in love with. Those things are just getting us to the mountain. Those things are just getting us to God. And so if we want to really grow, we have to reset and realize that it's really our love for God. It's our love for the mountain that drives us through these things, through these paths and these avenues of prayer, of fasting, of growing in God, encountering God, of serving all of those things are where we find Jesus along the way, and he is inviting us into the process so that we can then look at ourselves in the mirror and be able to accurately say, where am I in my growth with God? And it's the invitation of Jesus to come on these pathways to be able to actually grow. All right, so are you trying to be in love with the treadmill? That's the point. Maybe you will be. Maybe, I mean, because some of us, man, we fall in love with prayer. We fall in love with fast. We fall in love with these things. We fall in love with serving God, and that's fine to do. But some of us are stuck because we're, we see other people, they seem to be in love with these things, and we try. We don't seem to, it's not the point. The treadmill is getting you somewhere. It's getting you to the mountain. These things are just pathways that get us to intersect Jesus on. And so it's okay even if at first, if you struggle, if you struggle with prayer, if you struggle with showing up to church, if you struggle with worship, if you struggle with these things, you're, you're not to fall in love with those things. It's about falling in love with Jesus. How many, how many of you guys ever get like a word for the year? How many of you guys got a word for 2024? Anybody? All right, several of you guys do. For the longest time, everybody would do that. Everybody would get a word, and I'd be like, I'm, I don't have a word. Like, I, am I like not spiritual or something? I don't have a word. And then the last couple of years, I started getting a word. Like, I wouldn't try, but all of a sudden, this word would just come, and it would prove to be pretty accurate for, for my life. 
And this year, again, I'm not asking for some word, but I actually got more of a phrase, which again was like not what I was expecting, but I'm just gonna share it with you guys. But here's, here's the phrase that came to me for this year. The plow will be set deep. <laughs> That's exciting, right? <laughs> but it is a year of hope and fun. I never would have just put it that way. Like, because I just didn't think of fun as being like a spiritual word. But fun is actually a very spiritual word when you start to think about all the elements around it. And what I felt like God was doing was just inviting me, but I believe also inviting you, inviting us, into a time where a deep work is going to be done in us, but at the same time, there is hope and fun. Because whenever you find freedom in God, hope and fun is a part of that. How many of you guys could use a year of hope and fun? I mean, come on, come on. We need that, right? Amen. Because the way of the disciple, I want you to understand this. When we talk about disciple, it, it can become very heavy at times. But let me, let me tell you why I believe this is accurate. The way of the disciple is not about more rules and duties. It's about more fruit and freedom. And when you have fruit and freedom happening in your life, can I just tell you, even though the plow is set deep, hope and fun is on your horizon. The more free you can be. Let's look back at our key scripture, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is the invitation, I believe, of the Lord. For, for me, I know, but I believe for you as well. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Can we start looking for this this year? Look and ask for those ancient paths. The, we don't have to reinvent something. It's already been laid out for us. But there is a, it's where the good way is and walk in it. Find rest for your soul. I believe this is a year where you can find rest for your soul. Let's not be like the people that said, but we won't walk in it. I believe Jesus is, in give, is giving us an invitation to the way of more freedom. I want you to just imagine what it'd be like for you to walk in more freedom this year. I mean, more freedom to be who Jesus created you to be. Would anybody be interested in that? More freedom to be honest with God and more honest and real with other people. To be free to be who God called you to be. To, be, to stop hiding, to come out of hiding. Wouldn't that be more fun just to come out of hiding a little bit and be okay just being free in God? More free freedom from sin and the old life where your old thinking and your old habits look further and further back in the rearview mirror the more each day you drive in this year that it just gets further and further in the rearview mirror. How many of you guys would like some of that freedom? I believe that that's the path that we're on, where you can be, have more freedom to be more generous than you ever had before, more hope than you've ever had before, more kindness than you've ever had before, more truth, walking in more truth than you ever had before. I'm not trying to sell you a false promise. I'm trying to tell you what the scripture says is possible. If we only have eyes to see and look, if we would have the courage to begin to walk on this way that we're being invited into, but a lot of us will not do that. And the reason we won't, and I'll just put this uh, quote up from C.S. Lewis. He says it this way, a familiar captivity is frequently more desirable than an unfamiliar freedom. Can we just sit in that for just a second? The chair we're in, even though it's a captive chair, it keeps us captive. Listen, our... Our situation that we're in, maybe where we're at in our relationship or our finances or our spiritual walk, I believe C.S. Lewis is onto something here 
when, when he says that it's familiar and because of it's familiar, it's more desirable, even though it's keeping us captive. The worship team can come up at this time. I just want you to ask this question. Are we gonna be the type of people who break through that? Because freedom is way better than captivity. It just doesn't look like it that way at times. It just doesn't look that way. Have you guys have ever jumped off a cliff? Like literally, anybody ever jumped off a cliff? I have a number of occasions. <laughs> I remember this one time when I was, I was a couple hours away from anything out in, in Honduras on a missions trip, and we were driving to this place, and there was this, this waterfall. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I remember standing up, looking at rapids below, my feet on the edge. You ever, those of you guys who have who've jumped off a cliff, okay, you know what this is like. You got 30, 40 feet, whatever it is. You're looking, you're down, you're, you're looking down there. Your feet are on the edge. You remember your heart's pounding. You're like, I am, I'm going to be okay, I'm, I think, but <laughs> am I going to jump? And I remember that feeling of standing toes on the ledge, right? You know what's, what's more desirable? Familiarity. You know what's more freeing and a way better story? <laughs> it's jumping. So I actually got this picture of it, and I think we've got it there. Of this is this is me, like that's me at midair. Somebody captured midair as I'm jumping. Then I thought about it later. Oh, I don't have a life jacket on. Oh, there are no lifeguards here, and oh, I don't know what's down there. But, but I'm telling you, whenever you jump, all of a sudden you get off the ledge, and you are in this free fall moment that feels like terminal velocity, and you are completely free. I mean, you don't feel more alive than that, right? What I'm saying is that I believe God is calling us to be toes on the ledge people. Where we aren't backing off, but we are just, I, I, think, I think this is the year that you're starting off toes on the ledge and it's time to jump off. That's what I'm saying. That's what I believe the invitation is. And you could choose. You could choose. Am I going to just be in familiarity, which is way more desirable, honestly? Or am I going to move up a chair this year? And it's not about looking better than anybody else. It's about growing nearer to Jesus. That's what it's about. And so here's the question I'm just gonna leave you with. How free do you wanna be in 2024? I believe that's the question Jesus is asking us. How free do you wanna be in 2024? Because I believe he's positioned us toes on the ledge. And now he's just saying jump. Just saying jump. but it's an invitation to the good way. Would you guys stand up with me? Lord, we wanna to be toes on the ledge type people, people who don't back off and take a step back, but our next step is off. Lord, I just pray over each one of these people that our next step, our next step is a leap. even though we can come up with all these logical reasons why our familiar captivity is more desirable, help us to have eyes to see beyond the logic and be able to see by revelation through the Spirit of God. The more, ultimate more desirable is freedom in you. And so, Lord, we want to be people who walk in the good way, who look for the ancient path, who walk in the good way, 
so that our default reactions are kingdom reactions, so that we begin to look more like Jesus, so that the mask comes off and so that the, the gap between our, our public self and the real self is, is gone and it looks like Jesus. Lord, that's our heart, that's our prayer. Help us to lean into that this year in Jesus' name, amen.